Welcome back to the Welcome Matt's podcast. I'm River Matt. I'm regular Matt. And today we are joined by KK Notohara. I mean, that's that's how I know her. I don't know if you want to introduce yourself with your your real name or not, but um, if you could please uh, say say a little bit about yourself, maybe your your background with uh, the temples, um, and then uh, what you're doing right now. Okay. Yeah. So, well, my real name is Kayla, but I think most everyone in this space knows me as KK. So I'm fine by going by that. Um, so yeah, I've grown up in Sacramento and I've attended since I think kindergarten. Um, and I've been, yeah, growing up in the temple. I was in junior YBA growing up and then I moved to Berkeley and joined college YBA because of Matt um, and there I got to meet a lot of super cool people oh and I also did YAC if I'm supposed to say that um, in 2013 2013 yak nine that's me um, so yeah so then I moved and I got involved in college YBA and I was in that for quite a while and that was really interesting because I think I saw CYBA during a transition period um, as Matt and his friends all kind of graduated out and it was transitioning into, I think the younger kids of who it is more, more so now, um, which was really interesting just to see like new ideas and fresh faces um, in the organization. Um, and then I moved back to Sacramento um, and I recently joined the YBE social, social justice committee so um, I participated in the book clubs as more of just like a listener, like member. Um, and then Emily Co. reached out to me to uh, facilitate one of the adult book clubs, which was really fun. I kind of, my expectations were kind of all over the place and it still exceeded all of them. It was really interesting to hear like Sangha members, especially from other places and people who were more so like my parents' age talking about social matters and issues that were going on today. So that was really interesting. And I think that's where we are today. Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, I uh, I mean, we always go off the rails. So why not start off going off the rails? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about two things, the, the social justice committee and the book club. So um, I wanted to know maybe a little bit about what the social justice committee uh, does within the YBE. We did have someone from the YBE on earlier. And so as we kind of get a little deeper into it, I, I'd like to know what the social justice committee um, does or, or what it uh, aims to do, or just, you know, like what, what, um, I don't know, you, what draw, drew you to it um, either way, but yeah, if you just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I obviously was like more of a follower of YBE and like its Instagram and all of its posts and stuff. And I was like a big fan. Um, so then when they had those book clubs, we initially read So You Want to Talk About Race by E.J. Uma Aluo, and then we talked, we read The New Jim Crow. Um, so I was kind of just on the outside of it more so, and I really enjoyed it and the conversations we were having and just meeting other people. Um, so I reached out to Devin and Trevor and all of them and was like, oh, is there anything more I can do with this? Or like, if you ever, are there other things that you're like, I'm interested in like doing more. And then they invited me to a couple meetings. Um, and then before I knew it, I was like hosting a workshop. So they had done a lot of other workshops this summer 
Um, Matt, you were a facilitator for one of those, right? That's correct. Yeah, so they had a lot of those and it was kind of just to start the discussion within, within our community, I think, as Asian Americans and as Jodo Shinshu Buddhists, you know, talking about these racial issues that don't always get talked about, I would say, especially within our community. So they wanted to have this social justice aspect part of YBE, I think, as a large part of it. Um, and yeah, so I just got, I just joined because I was interested in doing more with that. And then I hosted a workshop with Mariko and Casey, which was really fun. And it kind of just, I just kept rolling with it and we're trying to find new ideas to go with in the new year. Cool, yeah. I mean, and, and you said one of the things that you were doing was to uh, facilitate the the book clubs. Um, and then the, you know, hearing our, I guess, parents generation talk about social matters. So I was wondering how, how that exceeded your expectations or, or like what was a big maybe takeaway or, you know, surprise or uh, what you enjoyed, you know, doing uh, the book club? Yeah, for sure. I think that a big maybe misconception I held of older people is that um, a lot of people are like, oh, it was just, that's just how I feel about things or that's how it was when I was growing up. So things don't necessarily need, like th for them, they didn't see it as a necessary need, means for change or like, you know, their beliefs were like, oh, that's just how it was when I was younger or when I was growing up. But this group, I think it obviously says something that they were willing to join a book club in the first place, but um, they were all very open-minded and um, just kind of came into the conversations wanting to learn and maybe unlearn previous beliefs and you know opinions that they had. Um, so it was really nice. And also just hearing about their experiences, you know, me as a 20 something year old versus them as older, they have much more life experiences. So they've, they just had a lot more like wisdom to share. So it was really, it was quite fun. And it seemed like our meetings couldn't, could, could never be long enough about sharing what everyone had to share. Yeah, that's great. I mean, as someone who pretty frequently facilitates um, group discussions. It's always a great feeling when you feel like you're out of time and you're like, no, 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 you know, I want it to keep going versus, you know, look at the clock. It's like, Ooh, half an hour left. And we already ran out of everything to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Um, I, you know, you, you, what you were saying that there's probably a uh, cross section of the, the group of people, you know, that we say there's our parent generation that um, feel a certain way. And that's the kind that would go to those kind of discussions, right? So there's um, other people that maybe don't feel that way. And, um, you know, they, they wouldn't be looking to unlearn their, their biases or to try to, re, you know, rework their, their thinking in any way. Um, but you, um, you seem to be one of those people as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're like, old or I didn't expect you to have those kind of feelings but the fact that you uh went you know above and beyond of going to these things and even started uh facilitating or heading things and you know you reached out to see what more you could do um I was wondering what uh drew you to uh this like social justice movement or you know even just within the community of trying to get people to talk about it uh what was it that really pushed you to get even more involved um so I think that 
um, this like Buddhist community was something I didn't realize was so close to me until I moved away from Sacramento. And I think a lot of my Japanese American identity is also through church and temple that I also didn't realize until I went to Berkeley because um, I obviously was not surrounded by my friends who are mostly Japanese Americans. Um, and so whenever I did kind of meet someone, you know, I saw someone with a San Jose Zebra shirt or something at the gym and I, I would always kind of like go up to them and be like, oh, hey, did you play Asian League? And you kind of instantly have that connection that it's very hard to describe, but I think all of us within that community definitely understand what, what, how important that is. Um, so then when Matt reached out for CYBA and then the Berkeley Buddhist Temple started doing those college welcome dinners, I was like, yeah, I feel much more like in my zone and these are like my people, not like, oh, fake friends I have to hang out with that, are, that live on my floor, but more so like, oh, I enjoy spending time with these people and let's try to get together. Let's actually organize things. Um, so I think I really found a new appreciation for this community um, as I've become older. So when I saw YBA was starting something new, I was like, yeah, let's for sure. I'd want to become involved in some way because I really liked what they were doing. And then especially because moving back to Sacramento, I kind of lost that like, I don't know, every time I would, I would go to college conference, I would get to meet new people. And because I moved back home, I kind of wasn't getting to have those opportunities anymore. So YB um, allowed me to continue to meet new people and make those connections. Um, and then as for the social justice aspect, I would say that um, things are kind of like, ra racial issues are kind of like hush hush, I feel like almost in our community. It's like, we talk about our struggles and our grandparents' struggles and, but we don't talk about being, I, I just think that Asian Americans can be much better allies. Um, and like the whole debate about whether Asians are considered people of color is like a whole separate thing. But I think that we also like Asian Americans and particularly, particularly this like very specific culture is like a lot of Asians tried to benefit from black culture without properly like respecting it in some ways. So I think that, yeah, I think just that Asian Americans can be much more, much better allies and not just for show and not because something that a hip hop artist or an NBA player did was cool. It's more so understanding like the struggles and trying to build them up instead of just like benefiting from like their success without truly like valuing it. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, yeah, I, I feel like those are really uh, good answers, not answers, but you know, reasons for, for joining and reasons for you know, going back. Um, uh, <clears throat> I think that that whole idea of, uh, taking maybe, you know, the J community or the temple community for granted is definitely something that um, is, you know, widespread. I think most people, once they graduate, go to college, you kind of leave it behind. And then, um, you know, a lot of people come back <laughs> to temple is what seems to be the pattern, which is fine. I mean, you know, that's, 
it's really everything in life, right? Like you, you leave home and you realize how you took your parents for granted doing all that stuff for you and, you know, having a house and having dinner every night, like all those things. Right. So it's important, I think, to get away and to, to recognize if it was uh, a strong part, you know, as you said, of your identity or not. And then if it is, you know, to, to come back full circle and either get more involved or, you know, whatever kind of capacity you're, you're comfortable with. And it's kind of funny to me how you said that you're, Jade identity um, was kind of different when you moved to Berkeley because my J identity is very strongly tied to Berkeley because <laughs> I grew up at the Berkeley Buddhist Temple. So for me, that's where like all my J background comes from. But definitely uh, going to Cal, right, it's going to look a lot different than um, going to the Berkeley Buddhist Temple. So um, I mean, how how was your uh, experience? I guess as maybe um, a J A at um, Cal, you know, in Berkeley, I know they have NSU. And then also, um, I was interested in, you know, what you uh, majored in or what, what you were, were studying while you were there. Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned NSU, right? Because um, I got invited to something by Moshin Fuku and Koi Kashiwagi, both members of our Sacramento temple. And they were, were like, oh, do you want to go to this, like, NSU event? Um, and I think Tara was also in it as well. And so we all went and then it was like 100% not what I was expecting at all. And I think my ex my expectations were kind of like this SoCal NSU thing that, that they have going on down there with like Tomo and, you know, UCLA's NSU and all these Fullerton, Long Beach, like such big Asian and especially JA communities down there. And up here at, at Cal, it was like, no one was even Japanese in NSU. And if they were, they were like from Japan, like not Yonsei, like me, like it was just much different. So uh, yeah, that was the only NSU event I ever went to. Um, and then, so I think, I think my, I was expecting to have like a much stronger NSU JA community, particularly at Cal than I, than I ever found. I never really ever did find it, but I think, CYBA was like the replacement for NSU that I didn't even expect to find. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was it was very interesting experience. But so at Cal, I was studying biology and I was kind of on a pre-med track. Um, but then when I moved back to Sacramento, um, I changed my major and I'm a, I just graduated um, with child and adolescent development from Sac State. Oh, you just awesome. graduated? Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, that's like not... a couple weeks ago. Oh, oh, man. I didn't even realize that you were so close to graduating. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you mean so close. It's been uh, it's been quite a few years, man. It's it's long overdue. It doesn't feel like it. We're still so <laughs> young. It feels like we, I just we, graduate, graduated. We were just talking about the Winchester house when <laughs> I think that was the first time you and I met. I was... think this, this just always comes up, but it's just such a great story. It is. You guys shared that ice cream. Our matching red tongues. Yeah. Yeah. And then not remembering who each other were for the longest time. Yeah. Like five years later, later I was like, I'm pretty sure I've met this guy before. But why? But where? <laughs> yeah. Because that was also a CYBA event, right? But you took me along when I was like 16. No, you were yeah, that I young, remember. were you? I was a junior she was. in high school. She wasn't oh. a senior. I remember I that. because. I remember thinking, like, wait, you're not even a senior? Like, yeah, why are like you you're here? not going to be in college next year? Eh. 
<laughs> hey, it worked, didn't it? I got yeah. her to go. She ended up being in college YBA forever. Yeah, true. And now she's part of YBE. See? You got to keep them involved. You got to stick to the ice cream. Yeah, it's the it's ice, ice cream. cream. Yeah. That's what it really is. We just need to have more ice cream socials. Oh, that's that's really, I don't know. I was going to say funny, but I actually, I guess kind of sad about the NSU. Because uh, at Davis, um, so not my year, but apparently before I got there, they had the same kind of issue. So we didn't, what I joined was not called NSU. It was the Japanese American Student Society because apparently before there was an NSU and it ended up being a bunch of like otaku, like really into J- Japan and Japanese things, people, not Japanese Americans. And so they created their own, you know, separate club. And I've, I've heard recently that I might be going back to that, but I don't know. I've, it's been a long time since I've been in college. So that's that's interesting that it's happened because there is this whole subculture of people who really like, you know, Japanese culture. But as uh, I hope, you know, a lot of Japanese American people understand, we're not Japanese. We're very different, you know, than how Japan is right now, even for like the last, you know, 100 years since we've been uh, from from Japan, <laughs> right? The generation that's been from Japan. So, you know, they're going to have very different um interests very different um i don't know lifestyles i guess but if you're interested in those kind of things like it's going to be a whole nother club versus you know the japanese american um, experience like the nsu event i went to was actually like a meetup with davis's jazz oh really yeah were there and there were no j people Mm-mm. yeah Sounds, all right. Sounds about right then. Yep. Yeah. And then, but Berkeley also had a jazz, but that was, it was like the opposite. It was more so for like Japanese people who were like international students. Mm. And so a couple of my best friends from Cal that I still keep in contact are from Japan, but went to school in the States or like they're both, they're both U S citizens. Like one of them was born in Texas, but then raised his whole life in Japan and like went to international school and then moved here for college and then has lived here. And then the other one, both of his parents are US citizens, but he was born in Japan. So he was born and raised in Japan as well and then moved here for college and then Hmm. has lived here. So even though we both identify as Japanese or Japanese American, like very, very different. Like even that's probably even like the closest, you know, like you still relate to like a lot of your culture, but, 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 but also no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it is, it's kind of funny of like, oh yeah, yeah. We celebrate Christmas, but we eat KFC instead yeah. of like a roast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like, so you, so you talked about, uh, you just talked about your, your friends that you still keep in contact with. And uh, you had mentioned earlier that uh, when you were with the, maybe church people or, or JA people, those were your, you know, your people you said, and versus like the fake people that, that you have to pretend to be friends with. Uh, and I, I was wondering what, what that differentiation um, means if you like delve into that a little bit. Cause I know, you know, all, I think all people to a certain extent have fake friends and then, you know, real friends, you have people you have to be friends with because of work or school or, you know, your, your friends, friends or in-laws or whatever, right? Like you have people who you have to be friends with. And so you have to play nice versus people who you can really be yourself, who you enjoy being with. And so like, what, what was it that made you feel like, oh, these are my people versus, you know, these are, these are fake people, even at a very like, 
uh, shallow level, right? Like just meeting somebody, you say like, you would be like, oh, okay, like I know I can identify with these people on some certain level. So I was wondering what, what specifically, I guess, was kind of that um, differentiation. Yeah, so my freshman year at Cal was pretty rough, I think because, because I didn't know a lot of people. Um, yeah, like I said, like I was kind of forced to hang out with my floor mates, but even now I wouldn't, this may sound really rude, but I wouldn't even consider them friends. They were just people I lived on the same floor with, like just acquaintances. Um, but then my second year, I joined um, a pre-health fraternity that it was like aimed at pre-med slash like, you know, pre-dental, pre-vet, you know, all these different pre-nursing. Um, and that was also a similar feeling of like, wow, these are my people. And um, I, I don't know if I can describe like the difference between that. I feel like you just know, you just know that you'll get along with people. There's not necessarily like a, oh, you like the Kings. I mean, that would also be an automatic friendship. Is that but not like, the basis no, of all friendships? But no one in Berkeley likes the Kings. It's a sh shared, shared heartache. I also went to Berkeley during the freaking Warriors, you know, Ugh, the worst. Era. So, you know, the worst timing to always just be made fun of for being a Kings fan. It's like, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be fun now when everyone's falling off the bandwagon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and then finding another, like, finding another Kings fan is like having shared trauma that you can bond oh, over. Yeah. And you always bond over trauma. Yeah. Like one of the best ways. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I don't know if I can say that there was like a distinct difference between the people that I met. It was more so just meeting them and also one of my very first classes was Asian American Studies R2A which is like a reading you know one of those reading requirements and our we had like a journal entry at the very beginning of the year and it was what how do you define Asian American and people were volunteering to share blah 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 and none of them were anything close to what I had written for my little like quick write because the majority of my classmates hadn't even been born in America or they immigrated, they were, they immigrated here or they were born here and their parents moved here when they were like 30 or something, you know, like they were all like either immigrants or first gen or I guess second gen. But for me, I was like, whoa, 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 this is not what I expected. I think me and one other girl who is like biracial, like half like a quarter Japanese, a quarter Chinese, and like half white from SoCal, like lived in very bougie area. Like me and her were maybe the most similar and I wouldn't even consider us that similar, but everyone else was like Korean American or like Taiwanese or Chinese and just much different rate bringing up than what I was expecting. So our definition, or just our, our straight up definition of what an Asian American was, was so different, even though all of our, all of our definitions could be correct, right? Because it's part of like the Asian American diaspora. So that was also very interesting to experience. And so even then I thought like, oh, maybe I'm seeking an Asian American community. That wasn't necessarily it because I still didn't feel connected to them. So it must've been something different, right? About, obviously I could say like the CYBA and like, church community would obviously be because we had grown up similarly like you you just know everyone you grew up very similarly like you're you can tell your parents were probably very similar 
And even though someone could have been from San Jose or from San Francisco or from down south, like you, you still kind of know you have a lot of similarities um, within like the temple community. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess I wasn't expecting like an answer. I, I, I was, I was interested if you had one because that would have been interesting to me, like to know. Because I agree, like I. I judge people immediately, like when I see them and I just like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna like you or like, oh, you know, we, we might get along. And so like, there's, there is that kind of, I get what you're saying of just like a feeling of, of you just know. And uh, there's definitely something a lot of, about like the shared background growing up similarly, um, kind of an illustration in my mind is like, if you have a, um, you know, stand up comedian and they, they talk about their upbringing, it's, I mean, it, it could be funny to anybody, but I feel like it's especially fun. It's especially funny when you have like a personal connection, right? So you have like, uh, you know, Joe Coy is um, Filipino American. And so him like talking about his experiences, I'm like, yeah, me too. So it's, you know, those kind of things. And it, it goes across uh, racial uh, boundaries as well. You know, like there's kind of like an immigrant experience or an ethnic experience or growing up in a certain area experience. There's all these different things that you can have these kind of overlapping uh, experiences. And that's what helps to like make you, um, I don't know, connect or, or feel like, you know, that's, that's your people or something. But uh, I, I, I feel I feel really bad because like you, you said you had a really hard time with freshman year and, and not having like a lot or not considering the people that you hung out with friends. And I don't think that's really that, that uncommon. Um, since ever since Facebook, we've really stretched this idea of what a friend is. <laughs> I think it's like, well, you know, you saw each other one time and, and then you found each other on, on the internet. So I guess you're, you know, quote unquote friends, but um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, you know, keep in contact with a lot of people that I met in college. And um, while I'd like to think we're friends, you know, I feel like if you haven't talked to somebody in over five years, like how good friends really are you? So I don't know. I understand that. But uh, and I think maybe a lot of people, if they're you know older, might might also kind of understand it as well. Uh, but you, you definitely touched on something that I feel is important um, and something that reflects uh, I think the Buddhist value is this idea of community. And then obviously within Buddhism, you know, they say, well, the, the three treasures in the Sangha is this treasure. Um, but in, in my personal feeling or my opinion, it's just this idea of community that if you're disconnected um, from other people, then uh, you, you will have this kind of suffering. And so it's important to have a, a connection and <clears throat> you got to find your people somewhere so it makes me really happy uh now knowing that you you've been able to find that kind of um community uh you you did mention uh something about uh meeting new people which uh you know i um i think is also like this important thing uh especially as you um continue to get older, right? Uh, oftentimes we can find ourselves surrounding ourselves with like-minded people. You're in this echo chamber, but if you continue to meet new people, then you get these new insights, you get new understandings, new attitudes. And um, not, not that you have to always be influenced by everyone you ever come in contact with, but it is nice to have that kind of thing. So I was wondering how uh, important it was for you to keep meeting new people or, you know, like if you just don't, you feel like you don't have enough friends or you want all of the friends or like why, I guess that was um, an important uh, value or important thing for you to do in your life. Um, yeah, 
it's interesting you talk you bring that up because I feel like this is a conversation I often have um particularly with my sister Matt and I kind of even touched up on it like when we were catching up before but I think I'm the type of person who loves to have like a lot of friends um and has like lots of different little circles whereas she has had the same friends for like 25 years and she went away to school all of her friends they all went to separate colleges but they all ended up back in Sacramento and they are all just as close as ever whereas myself like I'll have a bunch of different groups of friends like I'll have a small circle like a circle that I am friends with like similarly like we've grown up in temple together we've played all these sports together like that's my core group but um other than that I still have like like I said I have the Cal friends I still keep in touch with I have you know YBA friends that I still keep in touch with I have um a separate group of high school friends I have a separate group of Berkeley friends and so I I'm definitely the type of person who like loves to meet new people and has like a pretty big circle maybe it's like I'm more so the quantity and Carly's the quantity quality quality. I'm the quantity. She's the quality. Um, and on the flip side of that, I think as I've gotten older, I've realized that I'm, because I have so many friends, I'm not going to keep them around forever. So as I'm moving into like this new phase of life, kind of like, you know, early adulthood, like out of college kind of thing, there's a a lot of people that I thought I was really close to, you know, maybe in high school and throughout college that I don't talk to very often anymore. Even people that I were quite close with, like in high school, like, you know, hung out with them every day, talked with them every day. And now it's like, if I hit them up, it's kind of a quick conversation. And I like love talking to people. And so I'll try to like get deep with people and they're just not having it. And I'm just like, it's been very hard for me to like accept now that friendships change and relationships evolve and maybe we're not the same people that we were when we were 17 years old so it's okay to to like you know outgrow certain people that doesn't mean that you don't care about them you know it's just like obviously the relationship is not the same as it was at one time yeah absolutely i I, how it was explained to me that I like is that you go through different seasons throughout life and, you know, you're not going to have the same people in every season. And like you said, it's not because you don't care about them. It's not because, uh, you know, they're not good people. You're not a good person, but uh, you just go into different stages in your life and you have different people and, you know, you don't have time as you get older, you know, you don't have time for everybody, but you have different things that come up and that's just what happens. So it's not, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, criticism on anybody but just rather a part of like you said getting older Mm -hmm. uh so you you said you're not you're going to keep them around forever and i i don't know made a face for my my brow but it's like you you you're getting ready to like throw them in the (laughs) like the not friend pile or something it's like toy story 3 when you like you're just like yeah i'm done (laughs) maybe so like especially in quarantine i've been like really into hitting up people from random aspects of my life like I hit up a friend that from elementary school and then I hit up another friend from Berkeley and I hit up another friend from high school and like most of the conversations were like really amazing like we would have like hour-long conversations or like get coffee or whatever have a FaceTime call um so like those are the people you know 
I'll continue to hit up the other people, you know, who the response to those like, ooh, meaning me wanting to get really deep about life during quarantine. If they didn't have that response, uh, maybe they'll be on the other side of the list or like, eh, I might not hit them up as often. Not throwing in, throwing them into the fiery pits of not friendship. <laughs> okay, so it, it's kind of this, uh, they have to have a certain kind of response or invested a certain amount to, to I mean, like, continue. If they don't want to be friends or they don't want to talk to me, then I'm not going to hound them, maybe. Okay, I'll try so, so you're just being considerate. That's what it is. <laughs> I think it's all awkward. I feel like I try to push people and then they, they maybe not want to talk about things. I'm like, eh, okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll back off on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, does, I, anyone, I, does anyone push you back? What do you mean? Like, uh, you say you push people, respond. but it, it can't be one directional, right? Back. Like if you push somebody and then you don't, if they push back and you're like, uh, no. <laughs> like you change well, your mind and don't want to talk to them anymore. <laughs> Don't you have that thing where like you invite someone to hang out and they like make an excuse to not to come like, oh, I'm busy tonight. Oh, I'm a little tired. I've got work tomorrow. And then it's like the more times you ask and they keep saying no, it's like, mm, I'm not going to ask them anymore. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I I, I, I was I was going to go into the like you said you're getting like deep conversations or something. You push them in that way or like, but it, I guess that's not what you're oh, talking about. Oh, I see. I see. I think it's like you got to warm up to those things first. And if they're not taking the bait at the beginning, and it's just like, eh, it's okay. If they're just giving you the one word answers. Yeah. You got to yeah. you gotta pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I feel like not I like should that. start just like texting in. you. I just start like texting you because this is very intriguing to me of like your 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 means of conversing with people. Of like, <laughs> Matt wants to see hey. the flow chart of, of like how how do you... <laughs> my conversation yeah like first question yes no and then it (laughs) first it's like hi and then it's where do you see yourself in 10 years when the apocalypse happens wait wait, how do we end up here i think it's also because like during this past year like so many like important issues like have come up right and so some people are more willing to talk about it than others and it's not that they don't care it's just maybe they just don't want to talk about it Okay. So what are your, what are your thoughts on uh, universal basic incomes? Oh, I, I got a thing. Yeah. I got... How do you feel about, uh, you know, I actually have a, I got a dinner to uh, go out to go out to it's a, it's a pandemic. Uh, you know, it's just straight out of the microwave. I yeah. gotta go and get it right now at this very moment. Sorry. Bye. No, I think well, that's interesting though. Cause, cause I, I mean, I would think that especially during, this time you kind of like see who your real like close friends are like your yeah i guess you're like quality friends because those are the ones that are like reaching out to you more and that you're having those yeah. conversations with whereas like like you were saying like some people you reach out to and it's just kind of like well i guess that's the end of this friendship kind of thing yeah end of conversation and then you know and then dot, dot, dot. yeah yeah left them on red or they yeah. leave you on red i don't really know how that works but I don't know. It's it's funny to me because it sounds like you're moving more from like quantity to quality. And it's just like for me, that's kind of reminiscent of like how my friend groups are, too. Because, you know, when I was in college, YBA, I felt like I had like a lot of different friends, just like you do. Like I had friends that I talked to from high school. I had, you know, friends for when I was at CRC, friends from when I was at Sac State. And then I had like my college YBA friends. But it always felt like like you were saying, like the college YBA friends were like my people. 
And that's the group that I've kind of like hung on to the most, even like to this day, the ones that I like still talk to or like text just to be like, Hey, how's, how's the pandemic going for you? You still alive kind of thing. And then have those like long conversations. Yeah, I think maybe because I'm not able to meet a bunch of other people right now. So I'm like digging back into my bag of, oh, all these people I can go through of all these friends, like which ones am I going to take to the next level? And like, (laughs) I had a conversation about this the the other day about like having your friendship feel like it's gotten to the other and like a new level because you have like these conversations or because you have some certain shared experience that you talk about. Um, So I think, yeah, you're right. And maybe it's also just that I'm getting older, um, that it's, seeming like my friendships are getting deeper versus wider yeah two it's like it's almost like how are you going to invest your time Mm -hmm. because like Mm -hmm. like you were saying you're moving into a new part of your life especially like for me too it's like I only have I mean if you like pie chart wise like I'm working most of the time and then when I'm not working I'm either like doing stuff at church or like you know Reverend Matt and I are doing this podcast or like we have other projects and stuff going on Mm -hmm. and then it's like well who do I really want to invest my time into? And it's like, I want to invest my time into those people that I have the deepest relationship with. And that's how like, you know, you get closer with them. That's why we have this podcast. Is that, is that why no. I was, no, I, I, I was just trying to, you know, make you sound better after you, okay. after you went off on. Yeah. I judge people immediately, which is a great <laughs> personality trait to have as a minister. <laughs> I was trying to throw you a softball there, but you know, that, that's all right. Whipped I'm, on that one. Yeah. most like most like most things <laughs> all right i'm i'm calling it right now i'm setting up a transition for the next one so it's not it's not this one it'll be the next one so you're throwing yourself a softball i'm that i'm, I'm hoping I'm that throwing, you get out of the park i'm throwing one to kk to pass back to me for me to knock out of the park <laughs> all right i'm, I'm it, calling know, it i'm calling it, it if it doesn't work I'm definitely leaving this part in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, you, so we've been talking about quality versus quantity as far as our approach to friends, although it seems your approach to friends is really just, you know, like Toy Story and you have a big bag of friends and sometimes you pick them out to play. Uh, But this, this idea of quantity versus quality, like, do you think uh, it's maybe a, um, you know, personality trait, uh, like I, you know, dabble a little bit in personality. I know you must have like a little bit with, with development. And so like, I, one of the ones that I really like is the, the Jungian like persona where, you know, we wear these different masks with different groups of friends, which I think, you know, you probably identify with and having like a big group of friends or a big circle of friends and a lot of different groups within them. Uh, but you know, how do you, do you feel like it is kind of maybe like a personality trait or something that that would make you be quality versus quantity or do you think it's something that uh you can kind of i don't know change over time not that you can't change your personality but like how how ingrained do you think it is as a person you know i guess personally to be like a quantity versus quality person versus you know like something that's a little more fluid i guess Hmm. i think it's probably more in your personality like i'm very extroverted and my sister's very introverted so I think it goes along with that, like me meeting people and going out and hanging out is, it gives me energy. Whereas for her, it like drains her energy. 
Um, not that she doesn't enjoy that and she, you know she'll enjoy seeing her friends especially people she hasn't seen in a long time but when she goes home it's like wow that was so much like I need to recharge before I do that again whereas me I'm like wow well, that was so much fun I'll see you again tomorrow night same time like that kind of thing so I think it's probably more personality okay that's and that's really interesting because I I'm I'm kind of more I don't know. I guess I'm in between where like, there's definitely things where I'm like exhausted when I come home, but then there's other things where like, you know, I'm hanging out with, you know, my people or, or whatever. And like, I feel recharged, you know, like I, I needed that. And then you can go and like do more, I don't know, menial things, I guess. But uh, that's, so I'm, I really appreciate your answer. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious now how much of uh, your thinking with, with that answer was, uh, influenced by your child development background. You did it. I feel <laughs> like this is a nature versus nurture question. And I feel like yeah, they, it's, it's just both. <laughs> the answer is just both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. And that's, and that's great. I mean, like it's, I think it's, we, as human beings, we try very hard to simplify, uh, reasons for things that happen um, to a place that we can understand it, uh, but then also explain it. Um, you know, there's so much that happens in the world that we cannot explain through anything. And, and it really, I think, you know, uh, gives us anxiety. <laughs> so uh, we, we tend to, to kind of whittle it down to, to the smallest thing, but rarely is it ever that simple. So uh, like what, what uh, drew you to child development I don't know, that wasn't a transition oh no that was pretty good because that's what okay. i was about to ask and then yeah. but then you beat me to it man that's two for I two was, i could feel it coming so i was trying to go along with it <laughs> um, i feel it coming okay um i was always interested in working with kids as a even as a kid um which is very interesting because i'm like the youngest sibling and um, I am always the youngest in group, like in my, within my cousins, I'm like the, one of the youngest, um, both sides of my family, I'm like the youngest. Um, in my, with my friends at Cal, everyone was older than me and I was always uh, having, I was just always the youngest one getting kind of, you know, it was very obvious. So, and then when I joined CYBA too, like with Matt, I was the youngest one. So, uh, I don't know, it, maybe that's a, a nature thing. Like it's more innate for me to like enjoy being with kids, even though I don't have those nurturing or I, I do have it, but it wasn't ever like, I never had to, had to use it, I guess, kind of thing. Like I never had to care for a, my little brother or whatever. Um, so yeah, even as a kid, like going to daycare and stuff, I always enjoyed like playing school and being a teacher and like taking care of like other people um and then I attended like fourth R during the summers um with a bunch of my friends um who we didn't even go to the same school but we all for the summers just chose this one school because again it kind of had this JA there's a lot of JA workers there and then I volunteered there throughout middle school and high school at the same daycare that I attended when I was younger um and so teaching was always definitely in the back of my mind kind of thing, or definitely wanting to work with children in some aspect. So 
when I moved from Berkeley back home and I was transitioning kind of like from a pre-med standpoint to like, what do I want to do? Um, I landed upon occupational therapy because I thought it would be like a good intersection between some type of like healthcare and like medical-ish field and also working with kids because in OT you can also work with old people but I'm definitely more interested in working with kids um and um Carly in in contrast I don't think she was ever super interested in working with kids um but then when she moved home and was looking for a job she worked in schools like immediately and she loved it and so even now that she works for the state for nearly a year and a half she's like I miss the kids I'm losing my touch. I, I don't know if I can, you know, I'm not as great working with them as I was. So she kind of introduced me to a lot more possibilities of working with kids with that not necessarily having to be a teacher. Um, so I think, you know, teaching is still a possibility for myself, but I think I'm also finding other ways I can still work with kids. Uh, I don't know. Teaching is just very intimidating to me, particularly during the pandemic. I don't know if I could do all that. Why does it seem so intimidating? Handling of 30 children on Zoom. A litter of children. Yeah, yeah. I, I have, to, I already do that. And I only have, I only watch like two children or maybe six at the most. Can't even do that. Not for me. I don't know. Yeah, it, it does. It takes a certain amount of like being able to let go of control of yeah. just like it's, it's going to be madness. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like a very, I think I like to be in control type of person. Of That sounds really bad, but I like to be in control of other people. No, that that's definitely the vibe I was getting this entire time. But that, it's something, so it's she something good. She's her friends. You know what I mean? Like she just <laughs> got to pick her best, the best ones. Exactly. Yeah. Be like, I'm going to invest my teaching time into this one. I think it's good to recognize that about yourself, you know, like to know it about yourself. Um, it's, you know, and, and it's kind of up to you if you think it's good or bad, or if you want to change it or not, you know, you, you can definitely um, see both sides, you know, where you could see it as kind of just like, Ooh, creepy, scary, this person's trying to control everybody versus uh, you know, like, Oh, you know, I just want to have um, control over my life and who I talk to and, you know, those different things. So there's definitely different ways to um, understand it that, aren't maybe, you know, it sounds so like evil person, but that's fine. I don't know. I, I will say for myself, like I recognize that I was very manipulative. Like when I was younger, um, I could manipulate um, conversations and trying to like get people to like, you know, talk to me or open up. And I was very deflective when it came to like myself. So like, I, I understand this idea of wanting to be, controlling of other people and for myself like I was like oh I should probably stop doing that <laughs> but you know again it's not like this judgment that I'm passing down on you you know I, I how you understand it for yourself or what it means to you is is all that really matters you know we talk a lot about um, self-identification and so I feel like you know for you to say something and for you to understand it is one thing and for someone else to say it it's going to mean something completely different so I don't know I don't think it's a bad thing but I I am interested in, uh, you were talking about how you were the, the youngest as far as um, seemingly your entire family. Uh, and another thing that I kind of um, not subscribe to, but one thing that influences my thinking is um, birth order and how and what order someone is, is born and what that means for their personality. Because while there is great variation with them, within them, it seems like uh, more often than not, there are these 
very interesting similarities, at least for me. So like, you know, for example, a older child, as you said, you know, is going to have to take care of the younger children. And so they will be expected to be responsible from a very young age. So you see older children uh, have those kind of personality traits, especially when they get older, getting into, you know, fields of work, um, different things like that. Versus a younger child, they don't have to worry about those things. They're being watched after. Oftentimes they're, you know, the the favored child. Um, And so what happens is they get this different kind of personality where they can be outgoing, they can be fun, they can be kind of crazy, they can do different things. And, you know, they don't have to worry about it, because they don't have that kind of responsibility. And it's not to say that they don't become responsible people, but they just have this more, you know, kind of freeness about them that, um, you know, is charismatic and people are drawn to them. So these different things that, you know, and it's not everybody, it's not always the same, but there are these kind of similarities. So I was wondering how uh, you you thought your being the, the youngest kind of connected to taking care of others. Um, I, I know you kind of touched upon that a little bit, but then also uh, if maybe there was also a influence from perhaps Buddhism and like church and, and taking care of others, or if that has influenced you at all in uh, what, what you're trying to do or your, you know, the line of work that you're looking for. Um, yeah, I definitely think I play into this like young, youngest sibling thing. Like I'm definitely more like free and crazy than my sister. Um, and she's probably more responsible than I am. And we've talked about this a lot and kind of like, you know, going through our friends and like seeing if it matches up with this whole birth order, like, you know, the, the beliefs about them. Um, I even did like, it, I had a quantitative methods research class specifically for child development. And our final project was to like create a project and run it through um, her class. And she had like five sections of the class. So we had like over a hundred um, participants. And so I, I like hypothesized that older sibling, oldest siblings would be more introverted and youngest siblings would be more extroverted. But even within that, some of our classmates disagreed and they thought it would be the opposite. Um, so our results came back like, you know, inconclusive, but it was kind of interesting just to have that conversation to begin with. Um, I don't know necessarily where this like, you know, enjoyment of caring for other people came from. I mean, I'm sure everyone likes to care for other people. Um, And I don't, yeah, I I don't know if I could say where I came from, unless it came from my love to control other people. So me, by me caring for them, you know, they'll, I get to control them. That makes absolute sense. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, that, but that's fine. Like, I, again, you know, everything doesn't need to have a reason. You don't have to explain anything away. Um, and just the fact that you're willing to take care of others, um, especially, you know, younger people, you know, children, I, I think it's fantastic. We need more people like that, people who are, are willing to take care of our essentially our future right because that's uh who's going to be in charge of the future so we need people who are willing to um take care of them and to be passionate about that so i don't know i i really appreciate um what you're doing and and the direction that you're going so i'm i'm really happy that you're you're able to do that regardless of you know why uh you 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 um want to last time you had a better answer than i did about why 
uh, I'm, I, we may have like friends or like, you know, why we may be drawn to certain people. So your, your answers seem to be better than mine anyway. My, my answer, which, yeah. which one? I don't know. But um, <laughs> I, when you, when you ask about if there's a Buddhist connection to all of this, um, something I often think about is like, cause like intersectionality is like this big hot word right now but it's like a huge like Buddhist concept. Um, and so I often relate things in, I don't know, conversations about identity and then um, also child development, like in, in classes and stuff that I'm learning about uh, because I think I've always had this like understanding of the world as all being like interconnected and kind of thing. And so um, there's all these different theorists and stuff about why like child children develop the way they do. But one of the theorists or the theories that I like favor is um, it's not like just, you know, your family. It's not just the school. It's not just your socioeconomic status. It's not just your race. Um, it's kind of like everything, right? You know how we said earlier, it's like, it's often not just one thing. It's often every, it's all of the above. Um, and so it's, kind of like how does your race affect your development and how does your socioeconomic status uh, help your development, influence your development, but then also the coinciding of those two together, right? And so in further connecting that to like social justice issues, it's kind of like we realize that like racism is so deeply ingrained in our society and how it's like so systemic, right? And so it's not just that you're black and so a cop will more likely shoot you. It's kind of like, um, you know, you're black so you are less likely to have a better job because people may be racist within the system or because you live in a certain area, you cannot get a house or because you're black, you're less likely to get approved for a loan to live in a certain area, right? So I think this, this concept of interconnectedness has, um, kind of helped me understand how development is influenced by so many different factors. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, like, it, it's great for it to be able to um, influence you in, in that way, in like a professional way. You know, we, we always talk about the two eyes in Buddhism and it's fun to be like, oh yeah, you know, we're all connected in some way, but then to actually put it in a real applicable, you know, I suppose science, right? Behavioral sciences uh, to, to do that is, is just fantastic. And that it, it's been influencing you for, for so long. It, it really is going to be, um, I don't know if necessarily easier, but then, you know, maybe uh, you can conceptualize it better than, you know, someone who didn't grow up thinking that way of like everything, you know, there's a, and then B and like, and that's it. Then it'll be really hard to understand like, no, but people aren't that simple. Like people are all these different things. And because of that, they have this upbringing. And so like two people, even if they're born in the same household can have drastically different experiences and different developments and different personalities. So I don't know, that's, that's always something that's really interesting to me as well of just how, how different siblings can be because theoretically they should be the most similar that, you know, than your like neighbor, you and your neighbor, you and like somebody across the, you know, the country, but sometimes that's the person they're most similar with because of like the different experiences you had growing up as a sibling. So I don't know. Anyway. Um, okay. I have a question you um is there like a specific age group that you like to work with um elementary for mm. sure. is that is that because i mean 
So when you do, when you, do you still work at fourth hour right now? Uh, I mean, kind of, we've been closed since March. Though. Oh, okay. But you were Have up I until. You what I do? Huh? Did I even say what I do? No. What I work? No. I did not. No. No. Huh. Whoops. Matt, hit that transition, baby. Uh, you, so you control people. Wait, so you, you <laughs> like people school, with your mind? You control them the most. They're the easiest to control. <laughs> Probably, honestly. High schoolers way too way too difficult, and I feel like um, I use this word with a friend. Like they're less like at the same time they're very impressionable, but also like they have so much of their own. Like they're you know 15, 16, 17. So like they have 15, 16, 17 years of life experience. There's like little kids. Like I can impression them, and like maybe it'll stick with them. She the rest can of mold them life. into like I'll scare the, them away. The things that she wants them to be, oh. like the friends that she wants them to be when she grows up. When they grow but, up. Yeah, I've actually only worked with younger kids. Maybe mm. that's why um, until recently. So, okay, so I'll just talk about my work for a quick sec. Um, but back in, so after I was like volunteering at 4th R from like middle school and high school, um, in 2015, in the summer when I came back from school, I reached out to Stacy, Stacy Kawahara to work for her. And so we used to work at Caroline Wenzel, but then she got moved to Sutterville so I was, I've been working at Sutterville 4th R since 2015, um, but that was kind of only like when I was home from for summer break or winter break, because like winter break's like five weeks. Um, and, then, and then I went, when I moved home to Sacramento, I started working there like year round. And I think that was in 2017, I think. So I've been there for a while now. Um, so I've always just been around K through six and I enjoy younger kids. Um, but then in March, like it was Friday, the Friday, the 13th. And like the weather was crazy. A, a storm was a brewing outside, like actually. And we got this call about send all of your kids home right now. And it was like three 30. It was like a shortened day. And we were like, huh? Like what? And, oh, actually Sutterville was the first confirmed case within Sac City Unified. Um, I think there was like a substitute teacher or something. She came to our campus and then, so Sutterville was already kind of like, oh, what do we do? A lot of kids weren't even going to school that week. And they had some district people come clean our school, but it's like, okay, they clean it Thursday night and all the kids are going to come back Friday. Like what difference is that going to make kind of thing? So then um, we had to send all of the kids home and it was kind of scary because, well, everyone was just like, what, what, why, why can't it wait two hours when we close and kids will get picked up by their parents anyway. So it was very like frantic and people were very panicky. And then they were going to close the schools for like two days, two or three days. And it was, again, this kind of thing like, oh, we'll just go sanitize and disinfect all the schools and then they'll go back to school on Wednesday. And again, I was like, what good is that going to do? I don't understand anything that why. And then by Monday, we were told that we weren't opening like for two weeks. And I think it was like, okay, we'll go to spring break and then we'll come back. And then obviously that never happened. So... Mayor Steinberg opened up a free childcare program for essential workers, and that was going to be hosted at various community centers around Sacramento. Um, like I worked at Coloma, which is in East Sac. Uh, a couple of my coworkers were working at like George Sim or San Pinel down in Meadowview, which is close to us. Um, so they just used all of us fourth R workers because we're already like licensed, background check, fingerprinted. We're already employees of the city. So it was a very easy transition for us. You know, we didn't have to get trained or anything. 
Um, so that started out as just free essential workers and it was free and it, everyone was commending Mayor Sandberg for doing that. Um, and the school back then in the spring was like once or twice a week for an hour or two. So it was very, very like chill, very relaxed. And then in the summer, it was, they kind of op opened it up. That was when people thought things were getting better. Um, it was a paid thing. And then in September, he created a whole new thing called SAC class. I think it's like SAC children or childcare learning and student support. And that's like way different. So I got placed at Oak Park and, um, you know, how Oak Park is and their demographic, like their target audience or population were, you had to qualify for this program because it's a free childcare program. Um, they either had to qualify or get referred to by their principal or a teacher. And so you had to qualify and it was like, you had to be a foster child or you were experiencing like homelessness or like a bunch of like very uh tougher issues i would mm -hmm. say that i had like higher ever stress with. issues yeah. yeah or like they had to have an iep or like a learning disability and so these were students that i've never worked with like mm -hmm. especially coming from sutterville like i've worked with kids with learning disabilities like children with autism or children with down syndrome but that was only like a handful of kids out of like a hundred um but now i was working like strictly with like almost all of my kids have at least one parent who is incarcerated or was that kind of thing um or I have a couple of kids who they live in their car so these issues were so much different than like anything I was used to um and that was ob obviously this is during this time right and so it made me so much more passionate about working with students of certain you know communities mm -hmm. or people who need who have like you know more restricted access to like their resources and their education um so that's kind of why I was turning I was turning towards teaching again um just because I was trying to see which occupation like which future like path would allow me to make the biggest impact mm. um not that I'm naive in saying like oh, I need to make a change and I need to impact all these kids lives but kind of like um almost being, like you feel like you have the privilege of not having these issues and like you yeah. want to be able to like be a positive influence whether exactly. or not yeah exactly. I, honestly it's funny to me because it's like you know the way you're talking about it it's like you never would have stumbled upon this path if it weren't for the pandemic itself mm -hmm. and it's kind of like in adversity it's like you found something else you're passionate for I think that's amazing honestly yeah. and um I've even talked about it with other people too like me kind of like moving home back from Sacramento especially coming from Cal I was mm -hmm. like you know pretty down on myself and mm -hmm. like everyone's expectations you know it's such a great school all that but it really allowed me I think to find my passion in working with kids mm -hmm. um and think of it as a more serious career versus maybe you know even though I did enjoy it before it wasn't maybe what I wanted to do for mm -hmm. my with my future yeah so yeah. like you said it was kind of like things kind of just happened and then now I found like things that I I really enjoy doing and I'm yeah. passionate about. yeah like in both situations it's kind of like yeah. your adversity led you to something that's more like 
enjoyable for you or yeah, just something like you're more passionate about. And I think that's awesome. I mean, honestly, like, you know, I work for the state, so it's not, there's not anything to be like passionate about working for the state, but like, that's why for me, you know, I'm almost like, I wouldn't say I'm the opposite of you, but I like enjoy working with the high school kids. So like I enjoy work, especially with Dharma school and stuff. It's like, Mm -hmm. I like working with, you know, kids that have, because I think Buddhism is so complex. I like working with kids that have maybe like a little bit more understanding of the basics so that like when I have the conversation with them, I can kind of drive home how it's not just this complex thought, but that it can really apply to you in your Mm -hmm. everyday life and how you translate that and how you um, adapt your perspective into that is how Mm-hmm. Buddhism becomes more rich in your own life. Yeah, yeah. And don't get down on yourself for just working for the state. I think, you know, you don't have to be passionate about work. It's no. like you're passionate. You, yeah. you have passion outside of work. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And my passion's outside of work, as in doing this podcast and uh, and uh, helping out at the church, Do ne- definitely don't pay the bills. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> exactly. They pay your bills. They don't pay my bills. They, they barely pay mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I think it's important to have like the same thing. I mean, as long as you can find something that you're like passionate about in life mm-hmm. some way and you yeah. know that like you can do it, I think that's all that matters. But I, I think, yeah. you know, wanting to work with underserved um, populations, even within Sacramento, because I think, I think, you know, us being upper middle class Asian Americans in Sacramento, you kind of forget that there are a lot of underserved populations in our area. I think that's an amazing thing. Cause even like what Jenna does, she works with a lot of like, I don't know if I can say that, whatever. <laughs> she works with like at risk kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she works with a lot of like foster kids and things like that. And like, she, I honestly say like, she does really good work and I just work. That's, I've, that's it. I mean, everybody's suffering, right? Like, yeah. they're, they're, everyone's got problems. And uh, so, like, I don't think, you know, like, if if the state wasn't running, there would be a lot of problems. Oh, so, don't like, worry. I work for EDD, and we are running, and we still have lots of problems. We're in the news every day. See, but, like, you have a job that pays the bills, and, yeah. like, yeah, you don't know. I mean, a pandemic aside, you don't have to take your work home mm-hmm. as often. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm speaking from my parents' like experience, right? Like they were always able to take me to basketball practice, like mm-hmm. take me on out of town tournaments every single weekend, you know, go to my my dad could like be my be the scorekeeper, which mm-hmm. means he'd have to get off work like twice a week every every single day or every week, you know, those kinds of things where and like Yeah. And that's the thing for me is that like I think life balance, man. Yeah. I think for me especially, it's like because my mom works for the state because my grandparents work for the state because my sister works for the state. It's kind of like, I saw that, you know, we aren't like the richest family at, you know, the temple, but it's like you were saying, they were able to take me to all the basketball tournaments. They were there for all my games, things like that. It's like they worked Monday through Friday and it was Monday through Friday every week, but the weekends were like the time we could go to the basketball tournaments or they could take me to my friends or they could come mm-hmm. hang out. And it wasn't really ever that we were struggling or anything. Mm-hmm. It was more just, we had enough to get by and that's all that we needed really. 
I mean, yeah. we were more than comfortable. Yeah, I, like I shouldn't could, say that we, we could, just had enough to get by. You we could go on vacation, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. parents didn't have to worry about taking time off. Yeah. 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 We were more than, we had way more than we needed, but it was in a, in a good way of like, yeah. they were there for me mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like kind of is a good way to wrap it up with like Buddhism of how in, in my uh, understanding like the the biggest um i don't know ideal i guess in buddhism is the this bodhisattva where you know you're you're giving back you're putting off your own your own things to like give back and so for us to have uh this upbringing for us to have you know that kind of um for lack of a better word right privilege that's kind of a hot word right now but like this we we did we have this privileged life growing up definitely compared to you know some other people and so for us to then give back in in some way uh is uh right along the lines i think with the buddhist values and whether or not you know that's like the um reason for why you're going into it or not like i don't think that's like an issue or anything like you don't have to think about buddhism every time you make any kind of life choice or anything but uh i think it's great um as as a buddhist minister that you know we have people within our community that are concerned about these issues and i hope that it continues to um rub off on other people and influence other people and and getting them to get in that spirit, you know, uh, whatever way, whatever capacity that you can do to give back to the community, give back to underprivileged people, give back uh, to just other people in this like selfless way. And, you know, you get something out of it, you feel good, you get paid, whatever. But like, if you're doing that work, you know, it's it's important work. So I, you know, I, again, I appreciate both of you for, for being able to uh, do something, you know, for, for the greater community. All right. Slam dunk, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wrap it up. Okay. Uh, did you want to plug anything, KK? Nope. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> I talk about YBE. There's a new book club, I think, starting sometime in February, and I don't remember what book they're reading. Oh, it's All right. Radical. Look out for that. Radical Dharma. Yeah. I, I was just looking at that. I was literally just looking at that. Radical okay. Dharma. And there's uh, also you... a new something. <laughs> classic workshop there's check, a new workshop i think check it out check yeah. out the new stuffs at uh, YBE. YBE on instagram i'm sure trevor just talked about it so yeah yeah you know, and we're gonna have uh casey on to talk oh, more really? about the uh social justice uh nice uh committee i should respond to her email <laughs> whoops oh, oh. thanks casey <laughs> uh all right you can find me on youtube just search for sacramento buddhist church you can watch lots of videos of me uh, you can email us at welcomeatspod at gmail.com or follow us at welcomeatspod on Instagram and Instagram. That's all we That's all we do now. Yep. Uh, that's all I got. All right. Uh, you want to you wanna send us out? You want to play the music? Well, I'll, we could. Eh, I'll play it. All right. In the background. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 Thanks.